man, was that a mistake the way I approached it. Now I learned so much because I did everything myself. I was swinging the hammer, changing the toilets. I started with single family like most people do. And it would take us because I worked so much. It took us four years with one single family home each year until 2017, where I was like, I'm four years into this process with four single family homes, bringing $800 a month. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. All right, welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. This afternoon, I've got Chris Pomerlu with me. Chris, what's going on, my man? How's it going, John, man? How's it going? It is going outstanding. I am so happy to have you here. And that is a beautiful painting behind you. Thank you. I did it myself. <laughs> All right. For, so for, for those of you that don't know, Chris is an attorney, a real estate syndicator, and of course, a loving father. So Chris, you've got a ton on your plate right now. So what are you working on actively right now? Yeah, thanks, John. Um, thanks for having me. We have a lot of syndications running right now, believe it or not. As you mentioned, I'm a full-time attorney, but I also put a large portion of my time towards the real estate syndication. And so is my group that I'm a part of, Park Capital. So yeah, I mean, we, we have three open syndications right now as you speak. So we're, we're really, we got a lot of moving pieces here. That's awesome, man. Especially during, during the circumstances with COVID going on and everything. I think that's just a, a tremendous accomplishment and a testament to, to you and your team and, and your hunger to knock these things out. So obviously a big portion of this is kind of understanding the journey. And I think yours is so impressive that you've just gone through such a you know, diverse background. So I guess let's kind of just start from the beginning and understand how you even got into to being the attorney in the first place. Because I mean, yeah. you were a veteran first and foremost above all else. So what kind of drove you in, into going down that path? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, so I was born and raised in Council Bluffs, Iowa, which is a suburb of Omaha, Nebraska. You know, my whole life, people kind of told me sometimes you should be an attorney or whatever. But I, I can't really say I really uh, wanted to commit to that until midway through college. So in college, I was, playing, uh, I was playing football and going to school at Augustana. That's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And during that time, I was like, you know, I think the, the attorney route's the way to go. I'm, perhaps I'm a contrarian myself. I don't know. But I certainly like to dissect things. I never – I want the proof of things, if you will. I want to actually just not believe what I'm told. So it's good to take that attorney route because you have to dissect things and kind of figure it out for yourself. And so after, law, after undergrad, I went to law school in Creighton University or Creighton Law School right here in Omaha, Nebraska. And after that is actually when I went into the military. So oh, I didn't. Okay. All right. Learning something weird, new. I didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. It's a weird timeline. So I was in the ROTC during law school. So I, had, I got some of my law school helped. Uh, some of those payments were helped or it was paid for by the military. So I owed them time. So that's, that's kind of why I took that path. And then I completed my obligation with the military. And in 2013 is when I started practicing. And that's actually the same year that I started investing in real estate. Well, so I guess maybe this is a trick question. So what does an attorney do in the military? Oh, that's not a trick question uh, because I wasn't an attorney for the military. Uh, the, the military is, and anybody listening who, who's actually, who has actually served, they certainly understand this. We are just 
pawns in their game. I don't mean that negative way. I mean, if, if they need us over here, we're going to go over here. So it was kind of weird. I had a law degree. I passed the bar exam and they said, well, we know we paid for your law school, but right now we don't need any attorneys. We actually need a logistics officer. So they just made me a logistics officer. And I had a good time. I was stationed in Hawaii, so I lucked out there. That's uh, awesome. I learned a lot, made a lot of good friends, uh, certainly fine-tuned the discipline in my life. Not that I was reckless before, but I mean, you learn a lot in the military. And then um, I'm really glad that I did it. So I, I was not actually an attorney for the military. Now, the attorneys in the military, JAG, they do all sorts of things from laws of war to slapping somebody with a DUI or battery on, on, on post, if you will. So it's all over the place. That's awesome. Well, like I said, I, I didn't, I didn't know that. So that, that's pretty cool. That's an interesting yeah. progression. So you, you get out in 2013, you're starting your career, your professional career as an attorney and also in investing in real estate. So what, what kind of married those two as far as at the same time, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a big jump to just be leaving the military, starting a new chapter of your life and then also diverging you know down the path of real estate yeah i mean i've always kind of liked to learn right so like my car rides now are filled with nothing but podcasts audible stuff like that and you know i read rich dad poor dad i know everybody throws that out there but that's that's what i read in 2008 it just so happened i was in the middle of law school so when i was in law school in the mornings i would go to the military throughout the day i was in law school and at night i got my master's degree in negotiation and so my entire day was just stacked with just all types of stuff. And I felt as though, wow, this purple Bible of rich dad, poor dad, it makes so much sense. But at that time, I was like, I don't have time to do these real estate, this venture that I wanted to. And it just so happened that looking back, I probably could have done it. But that's why I had to wait until 2013. And in 2013... I got the job I wanted. I got some golden handcuffs going on because I was finally earning a, a decent amount of money. But I realized quickly that, holy cow, when I stop working, I stop earning. Like I'm done. And not only that, but I have been since day one, a divorce attorney, a family law attorney. And you want to talk about the least fun you can have on an emotional roller coaster. It's very difficult. Now, I enjoy helping people. I certainly enjoy being in court a lot because well into the 90 percentile of attorneys don't even touch foot in the courtroom. They don't even go in the courtroom. They're at the desk. They're reading contracts or whatever. I certainly have taken the advantage of being in court a lot, but I realized quickly that, look, if I want to be an attorney, I want to, to practice law when I choose to, not when I have to. And I realized that passive income and building that real estate side gig, which has become a huge, large gig now, uh, was the only way to get there. That's outstanding. And I mean, I think that's one thing that a lot of us struggle with when we do have a career or a job that pays, pays fairly well. And the realization is as soon as that ends, for whatever reason, you know, layoff, quitting, being fired, whatever the case is, that that income stream ends too. And I think that's just such a rude awakening for a lot of people because they just think, oh, I'll just jump from job to job or from, you know, career to career. And, you know, that, that's a risky proposition. And I think it's just tremendous that you were able to come across you know, of course, like you said, the purple Bible, rich dad, poor dad, and kind of go through that. But then it's interesting. And I think that's, that's one of the things that I like to talk about on this is who would really look at an attorney and say, Oh my gosh, like 
you shouldn't do that. You know, there's some risk in being an attorney. And, and I think that's the kind of in the scenario day today with COVID is interesting that a lot of the professions that we felt were protected, you know, dentist, my friend, his wife is a general physician and she's been furloughed herself, right? I mean, so these jobs that you thought were bulletproof, recession proof, whatever you want to say are being impacted. And so I think it's just, it's a great opportunity for all of us to take a step back and look and say, Hey, if we're just counting on one stream of income for our expenses, for our housing, for our sustenance, there's risk in that. And I think that's, what's so great about this challenge right now is it's giving us all of an opportunity to take a step back and say, Hey, are we really architecting the life that we want? And you know, that's going to provide us the most value. Well said, man. I, I, that's well said. I, I love that because I actually, I actually lived that myself. You know, as a family law attorney, March to June or so, when we were kind of closing down different public areas and people were forced to stay home and whatnot, our business did slow down quite a bit. I was lucky enough to not be affected because I had the real estate still supplementing my, my income. But I know many attorneys who weren't that lucky. It just so happens that after June, we have picked up so much. We're already hiring new attorneys because people, unfortunately, are like forced to stay home with their spouse. And we, we kind of accelerated the divorce that they would have gotten five years from now. It's unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. But anyway, I'm living that downtime, uptime thing. And without real estate, many attorneys I know struggle, which is crazy, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, again, like you said, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation for a lot of people right now. And I just think in general, kind of back to your point about expediting some of the issues, I think that's interesting just within technology and society, we're seeing a lot of things expedite. And one thing within that working in the contracting and staffing space, myself personally, I just think this gig economy is going to grow and grow and grow. And I think a lot of people are going to have to have multiple gigs to be able to sustain themselves from a financial perspective. And the fact that you already had a stable base of that, you know, I mean, that's just awesome. And so, yeah. okay. So, so you get, so you're, you're doing your attorney thing. You're, you're doing really well there. You're making good money and then you're doing real estate. So you're starting to dabble into real estate. So what did you start in with real estate and, and why did you choose that as an area to start in from an investment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you used the word dabble because looking back, man, was that a mistake the way I approached it. Now I learned so much because I did everything myself. I was swinging the hammer, changing the toilets. I started with single family like most people do. And it would take us cause I worked so much. It took us four years with one single family home each year until 2017 where I was like, I'm four years into this process with four single family homes, bringing $800 a month like that. That's it. Like one, one AC goes out and I lose all of my cash flow. There's got to be, by the way, I'm working both days every weekend doing stuff I hate to do. I'm like the least manly person that, you know, I'm not good at any of that. I just thought I could save money. And anyway, but by 2017 is where I learned there has to be a better way. And that's when we jumped into really scaling everything that we did, moving into multifamily, hiring out different people to help us. And, and, and I mean, since 2017, we've been able to grow exponentially uh, to a very comfortable level and we continue to grow even more. And there's no way we could have done that without delegating and growing. So, Yeah. Well, you're better than me. So I, I did try to sub out a lot of stuff and there was positives and negatives. Obviously I, I traded time for, for money, but 
I had a lot of challenges with, you know, the return I got on the money that I had paid out. And I think that, you know, there's definitely two challenges to it. Right. And so it's either your time or your money. And so I think it's interesting when we look at our journeys and you're like, Hey, I did it exactly the wrong way, but I'm sure there's so many lessons you learn from going down that path that are going to behoove you moving forward into, you know, the success. And I mean, it's just, it's crazy just to think you just said 2017. I mean, that's, that's three years ago, man. And where you guys are right now. I mean, that's just, (laughs) <laughs> that's impressive. I mean, there's no other way to say it. So, I so I think that the story of you finding your business partner is a pretty interesting and, yeah. and, and, and fun one. So can you guys, can you tell the audience just a little bit about how you came about bumping into your business partner and, and how you guys started ramping up the business? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, our group is Park Ave Capital and um, I met my partner, Colin Schwartz. I met him in 2017 so Colin was already a little ahead of the game as far as something that I'm still learning how to do, which is marketing myself. Colin had already started to put some blogs and whatnot onto bigger pockets. And that was in 2017. And he was getting a lot of people reaching out to him. And he started a meetup here in Omaha. There was one already, but it was led by, I don't want to speak ill will. I mean, well, not negatively. It's a, it's a group I went to many times, but it, it kind of had a little older feel very formal. You showed up, you logged in, you sat there, everybody faced one direction, this old community center. And there was one speaker. Colin started one at a brewery and it was like 10, then 30, then 150. And now he has 1700 members. They're every few months, they're moving to a new location because they need to get more room. And it's a great way to intermix, intermingle, have a couple drinks and eat, sit down, listen to a speaker, listen to somebody talk for a little bit afterwards, hang out the rest of the night. And so I met Colin in 2017 and we, we met each other by just continuously finding ourselves at the same property, outbidding each other. And the way I met him is that this is a crazy story. I, I put the best bid in on a fourplex and I thought I had it. And then I ended up losing it to somebody who put in $10,000 less than me, which for that fourplex was a lot. I didn't understand why I didn't get it. Come to find out it was the wife and one of my divorces that owned it. So I had husband, I had husband and I didn't know it was an LLC name. I had no idea. So the wife saw my name trying to buy her property. I'm sure sure she was like, not a chance. So she gave it to Colin and I saw that he got it. I didn't know who he was, but the door was open when I was driving by and I just walked in. Uh, I knew no one lived there. I knew it was vacant, but I I could tell there was some, uh, you know, some subcontractor vehicles in the driveway. So so I walked in and there's Colin and I introduced myself. The next couple of properties, we kept running into each other. And finally uh, he called me and said, look, man, let's just, let's just go on this first one together. And you know, since then, Oh, by the way, we met on that, that that property was on park Ave. So there's where the name came from. But since then we're like, look, you're really good at boots on ground, Colin. You're really good at managing. He started his own property management company, Bricktown Management, which is now up to over 450 units. He's got a staff, he's doing everything. And so he's really good at those things. And I've kind of, I'm good at things he's not, he's good at things that I'm not. And uh, we've just kind of learned to grow that way. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't know that's where the name came from. That's so cool. That's that's an awesome story. That's a, that's a great partnership story. So so obviously, you know, you kind of probably glossed over a couple things, but so oh, yeah. what, what did you do to ensure? So obviously, you I mean, you guys work together tremendously, uh, you know, and you guys, like you said, you kind of found, Hey, make sure that he fills in where I can't and, and he has strengths that I don't have. And so what was that process? Like, I think a lot of people struggle with, you know, jumping into partnerships too quickly. And then also 
analysis paralysis of like, oh my gosh, this person doesn't check every single box. So what did you do to kind of ensure that you felt this partnership would be success moving forward? No, yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I had partners before him who were either friends or family or whatever, and, and it worked for a couple properties, but slowly you learn, you just have different goals. And not that either of you are incorrect, it's just you have different goals. I think what the reason Colin and I worked out so well is that we have the same exact goals and we're always pushing each other. You know, what I learned from some of my first pro, uh, partners were, you know, some of them were okay with a duplex and they didn't really want to move up to a fourplex. They certainly couldn't fathom an 80, 80 unit and that's fine. There's a comfort level and that's more than okay. Or some partners wanted to do absolutely everything themselves. They were willing to drive for hours to turn the wrench underneath the sink for a couple hours when to me it didn't make sense, but by the way, it, a lot of people love doing it. My first partner really on those four single families was, was my dad. And he'd drive hours to have a chance to rake the leaves someplace. So <laughs> it, just, it just depends on what your outlook is. I think that the, the fact that him and I had this growth mindset really helped. And then there's a little bit of learning curve about what he's good at, what I'm not. I mean, of course, when we first started, we were both calling insurance agents the same day we were both calling banks the same day because we didn't, we were so used to doing it ourselves that we didn't really know someone else could do that. And I, and I kid you not, we were, we just asked this question the other day. We didn't like sit down and like designate tasks. It just kind of trickled out to be that way. And it just kind of worked out. Um, so I think to answer your question, really, it's, it's finding someone who has the same goals as you. That's huge. And of course it's a personal thing. You have to trust them. I mean, this dude could log into any one of my accounts any day and take a lot of money. I don't think he would, but um, there's got to be a lot of trust there. And I know that if he's getting A, B, and C done, he's going to, and he trusts me. So some of the things that I do are a little more boot, less boost on ground. I'm doing a lot of the underwriting. I am the one now contacting all the banks and the agents and the CPAs and the bookkeeping and all that kind of stuff. I'm taking care of that. I'm doing a lot of outside of Omaha networking, if you will. Um, I'm managing a lot of the managers in those different cities and locations that we're at outside of Omaha. And obviously he has input on all of those things. Uh, whereas he may control a little bit more of the, of the properties right here in Omaha cause he's boots on ground actually managing them. So we just kind of fill, get in where we fit in, I guess. And it's just kind of working out. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that you mentioned there was you kind of started small, right? And I think that's what it's with, with partnerships a lot of times people so you, you you could have gotten out of that if it didn't work out and if you've sensed hey you know this just isn't going to work you know maybe you would have lost some capital maybe you wouldn't have whatever but but the the total risk that you put into the deal wasn't as big as if you said hey let's let's go in and let's both put you know our nest egg or you know a huge amount of capital into a deal and see what happens and so i think that's that's a really important point that i think people struggle with is a partnership can start small you don't have to start with a 50 or 80 100 unit building to partner with somebody why not just find somebody that you can trust and that you align with and and trust and relationships take time and i think that that's what such a great part of that story is you guys started at a point that made sense and then by the time that trust was built you guys could just vibe off of each other and, and really start filling in those gaps so so that's awesome so, so the other side of it is, you know, the other partner, your spouse. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff going on here. I know you've got kids, young ones, especially. So what's the conversations like with your spouse and, and how does she feel with, with all this going on? I mean, it's like, you're an attorney, you've got a great job. Like, yeah, Hey yeah. honey, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to quit, you know I mean? So what, what's that like? <laughs> so my wife, uh, Shivani, she's an attorney as well. 
Uh oh, I don't want to be in the arguments in that household. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I lose most. I lose most. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a that's a strategy. That's a strategy. Is what that is. Um, no, I. Uh, she's extremely supportive. You know, it's tough too, right? Because when we had our first child, who's only two, she chose to stay home. So she hasn't been practicing as an attorney for the last two years. She's kept up her licenses and stuff, but. And she'll soon go back once our kids are a tad bit older, but she has certainly stayed home. You know, through only having one child, which we thought was the craziest thing ever, we've now learned adding that second is even more crazy. And so it's a little more difficult because we had the second child of ours on March 10th of this year. So like COVID day minus two. And it's causing, you know, I'm working from home now. My kids are here, which by the way, I love seeing them. I see them way more than I ever used to, which is great. But also I'm here to be able to help my wife, which takes time away from work. So it's a little difficult, but yeah, I mean, I think that uh, she is very, very supportive and she knows the end goal. She understands that a lot of this hard work now, not that I'll ever not work hard, but it's really important to to really put your head down, just work through this as much as possible to build up all of those assets and equity and passive income and just trying to get in as much work as possible now. So she's really supportive, but certainly there've been some, Hey, why don't you stop working? It's 11 PM type situations. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the important part is that it's an open line of communication. Of course, we're all going to make mistakes and we're going to do something that isn't you know up to snuff for the other side but i just think the fact that you guys are able to have that open communication and and make sure that hey if somebody kind of gets out of bounds in an area that that you know the other party doesn't like that um yeah i don't know if you guys draft up documents or what but um, (laughs) 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 but but yeah that's that's the important thing and i think that's outstanding that that you guys are willing open and willing to to have those conversations so um so, I mean, you talked about being educated and, and really pursuing, you know, being hungry for learning constantly. So what are some things that have really helped you go from, you know, the single families to the multis and, and now even past that? Uh, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a podcast junkie, but I'm, I'm really, really busy now. So I don't have as much time to do the podcast anymore, but I'm certainly, if I have an opportunity to listen to something, it's a podcast. Audible is great. I learned the most from talking to people who have done it. So, you know, whether that's an actual coach, which I would suggest anybody get, or just simply surrounding yourself with people that know more than you, they won't know more than you in every single area, but they certainly know more than you in the things you need to get better at. I'll give you an example. We're actually doing an infill ground up development of 150 plus apartment right now. And if you want to talk about night and day compared to, uh, just buying a property and stabilizing over the next year. I mean, it's going to take me two and a half years to even get the thing built. I have a couple of partners on that deal who are buddies of mine who have invested with me before on these traditional value add deals, but they're on that deal. And I let them do a lot more than me. And that's hard for me in you know, a quarterback growing up and military and all this stuff, but I don't know what I don't know. And surrounding yourself with people who know what they're doing is really the key. So I mean, you know, one of the best things I did was my first multifamily deal was not with Colin, it was with um, uh, DVG Realty is the name of a company in town here. It's Jerry and Mike Schlickburn are their names. They had some property management experience and um, I learned a lot from them. It was my first deal. It was a jump from a duplex up to 20 units and I, I brought half the money. They brought half the money and 
I mean, we, we successfully turned a 20 unit in just 12 months and I, I just kind of took a back seat. You know, I had something to add. I could underwrite. I brought money. I brought connections with banks and stuff, but that was when I was just getting started. But you just you add what you can and don't be afraid to sit back and learn. And that's why I tell people who we have a lot of LPs who are investing in our deals who they're getting the LP return. Sure. In fact, this morning, one of the great feeling is one of the uh, syndications we closed on about six months ago. I just sent out our first distribution for the first six months. That's a great feeling to everybody. Congrats, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a great feeling. But the best part is when they say, okay, wow, when's your next one? Right. Uh, and I said, you, you just so happen to say that I got some, but, um, <laughs> but no, but there are LPs that actually want to learn what we're doing because they're also interested in doing it themselves. And I love telling them about it. And I think that they're soaking up that look, why not give, why not put some money towards something, get a return and soak up the knowledge of the person, uh, GP that knows what we're doing. And that's something I would suggest to most people for sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I mean, I think that's, that's so important about learning from other people. And I think that's some of the ways that I've grown the most is, you know, it's great to read it from a book and you can kind of, you know, work on your mindset and your affirmations and all these things. But until you're really in it and doing it, it's really, I don't think there's going to be any knowledge that's gained farther than that. Right. You know, when you're yeah. in it from, there's just so many scenarios that you haven't thought about. And the fact that you were able to, to find a group to work with and learn well, well investing and being a part of it. I think that's, that's that I think that's what a lot of people really should try to focus on. So, so you, you're with Colin, you've got, you know, these smaller buildings, you're working your way up. So, so how did you get from there to today where, I mean, you're doing, like you talked about 150 unit infill on a deal. You've got, you know, multiple deals in Sioux Falls. You've got, you just mentioned a deal in Tulsa. So, I mean, dude, you're like crushing it. So how'd you go from just, hey, Colin and I are partners to, like you said, that exponential growth? Well, I think you, you said, you, you alluded to it earlier, kind of starting small. And small is a relative term, right? Of course, a single family is a great way to start. Once you've done a 20 unit, 20 unit is small to a 60. 60 unit is small to 120. 120 is small to a ground up construction. And I think we've just been taking those steps as we've moved along or one syndication at a time. We've done that. Now we're doing three. And so just kind of taking that step, because I think that there is the school of hard knocks. So there are things you learn along the way where you take to take a step back and make that learning curve, if you will. Uh, once you start moving into syndications, now you're dealing with other people's money. So you got to be careful about those lessons you're learning. But uh, I think that it makes sense to take those gradual steps. And so that's why we've been able to do that is because uh, I mentioned earlier, Colin, and I have this growth mentality, like we're nothing against anything to anybody. But if somebody sends us a 12 unit right now, it's, it's deleted from my inbox. I'm not looking at it. And it has nothing to, I've, we've done very well. In fact, I own four 12 units, but it's something I bought two years ago. I realize now that it's just as much work to buy the 72 unit, but there, you can't mitigate your risks. You can't make as much return. And so I would never would have thought that though, right? A jump from a duplex to a 72 unit seems to be a little crazy. And so those incremental steps is, is what really helped us grow. Yeah. And I think that that's for me personally, that's kind of the direction going as well as, you know, just kind of those baby steps, you know, incrementally work your way up. And then for me, the confidence that's, that's you gained from successfully like that 20, I mean, that 20 unit, I mean, after you guys turned that in 12 months, you must've been like, man, like, I'm the man like, dude, that this is it. easy. Like bring me the next 20. Where's the next 20. Right. So I think, I think that's a big part of it is 
you know, we all have that fear of failure in our head, right? And it's just, that's just human nature. We're always going to have that. And so I think that's, that's one thing for people that are struggling, you know, getting into deals or, or kind of what size deal they should kind of try to look at is it's, it's great and sexy to think about jumping into these larger deals. I'm not saying you should or should not do that. That's a decision you'll have to make, but having the confidence of successfully turning a project is just, in your head, you're like, Hey, this is possible. So when you, when you reach that level of adversity in that next deal, you can say, Hey, I did this. Like, Hey, I found a way to, to, to struggle through whatever that was and, and find a way out. And so now you've got that in your head, say, Hey, I can go about and doing this. So I I think that confidence you said is that's key, right? I mean, the reason you need that confidence, the reason I need that confidence in the jump from two to 20 to 20 to 80 to 80 to bigger. The reason I needed that is because I was the active investor. I was the general partner. It was on me and Colin to make sure it ran correctly. So therefore I needed to make sure I had that confidence. There's another way you can gather that confidence though. You could just team up with somebody who's already done it. And I, of course you can do that as an LP, but I'm saying even as a GP, you can find your way onto a GP quickly by saying, I don't know a lot about how to run the property, but I know $600,000 over here that I could find a home for and I want to learn how to run it. So I bring 600,000, I get to jump on the GP and I don't have to worry about the day-to-day decision-making because I'm teaming with somebody. So I have the confidence in them to run the property. And so it really is just, that, I think you're right, man, that confidence thing's huge. And that's exactly what we did. When I, when I turned one unit and then two units and I got all my money back quickly, I was like, can you do it on a 20? When I, when we succeeded, you said I'm the man. When we succeeded on that 20 unit, when I put 900 into it and refinanced, and it was actually 13 months, and got all 900 back, and now I own a cash flowing 20 unit, I was like, game over. Where's the next one? Where's the next one? We're about to do it on 87 unit right now. And we turned it in just 18 months. And that's, that's obviously we're pretty lucky on that. That's, that's a pretty quick turn. It, it's usually long performance does not dictate. Yeah. Future yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fast talking guy at the end of the commercial. That we're, and we're also, I, I partnered with people. We were okay. We rolled all of our profits into the project the entire time. So we actually weren't taking anything. So, but once you get that confidence, it's just, it's, it just becomes a fun career slash game. It's a great time. I yeah, mean, well, I can just tell you're a total junkie for this stuff. I mean, you just, it's, it's funny. Every time we talk, it's just, you get, you're always fired up. Right. And I just think that's so, you know, fun to be around, right. It's something you're truly passionate about. And I mean, yeah, you're just hungry. I mean, you got three deals going on right now and you're, I mean, you're just chomping at the bit to find the next one. So I think, I think that's awesome. So there's also, you know, some tough times to it too, right. I mean, being an operator isn't all fun in games and you're just closing deals and getting your capital back and you know, there's, there's some challenges. So, what have you learned along the way? And if you had to look back and potentially do anything differently, what are some areas that you think you may attack differently knowing what you know now? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're learning every day. Um, you know, some of the stuff you learn early on, and this sounds crazy to say out loud because you know, of your knowledge base and most people's knowledge base, one of the earliest uh, mistakes I made, which I haven't made in a long time was I just went off the pro forma. I didn't even think, I I just went off the pro forma. I said, holy cow, this thing, uh, look at that. It's going to cash flow. Uh, It just so happens it was in a part of town that it doesn't matter if it's occupied or not. They're not paying their rents. Well, then the pro forma blows up. And we lucked out there because we ended up selling it. And it was was in the turn of 2018 and 19. So we made a profit on the sale, which is never our goal. We We actually don't sell. We always refinance and keep indefinitely. So I lucked out on that uh, lesson. 
but it was certainly a lesson that we learned. Another lesson that we've learned a lot in the last 18 months is all of the red tape. This isn't really a real estate thing, but the red tape and the logistical part of running a syndication. I mean, that 87 unit I just talked about, it's me and three other people. I don't have to worry about having a syndication platform where everyone can log in and view real-time results. I don't have to worry about SEC compliance. I don't have to. I don't have to worry about those things. So when the the things that I learned throughout the process are some of these. Uh, when you're entrusted with other people's money, especially when it's a formal syndication, there's a lot to learn about the best ways to go about bringing them along on the ride. So, you know, that syndication answer is pretty general. Certainly, the pro forma thing. You know, some of the, another thing I learned recently is we had somebody say, thank you for the monthly updates, but I noticed, I, I didn't notice an income statement or a rent roll. Now, I've never been asked for that before. I, I said, gosh, you know what? This is a great opportunity for us as GPs to be 100% transparent with all of our LPs. If they have questions, they can ask them. Let's just start kicking out that rent roll and income statement every month. Now, that may sound a little obvious, but I can tell you right now, I know plenty of sponsors that do not kick out rent rolls and GPs. I'm sorry, income statements every month. They should at least quarterly, but they certainly don't do it every month. And that's something we learned. We said, look, if we have 18 investors in this one deal, maybe only two of them know how to read a rent roll, but they all deserve the right to look at it. And that's not a shot at any LPs. There are a lot of people that just, they trust you with their money. If you asked me to dig down into the best mutual funds, to, to put my money into, I, I wouldn't know how to explain that. I give my money to my advisor and I trust him. And that's, I'm not speaking as an advisor. I'm just saying, <laughs> those are the things you got to trust the GP with. You deserve the right to at least know or have access to the information. So a few things that you talked about there that I think are really important is, I mean, the larger a deal gets, the more voices you have to listen to and you know, the more people yeah. you have to interact with, good, bad, or indifferent, just there's more cooks in the kitchen, right? And, uh, you know, we've all heard the stories of the squeaky wheel, you know, the guy that invested five grand into a deal or, you know, 10 grand into a deal. And now he's calling you every day, you know, saying, Hey, what's going on with this? What's going on? Why'd you do that? Why'd you do this? Right. And so I think, I think that's another side people just have to be aware of is it's great to think about, Hey, you know, we're raising all this money, bringing this into the deal, but you know, there are some challenges there too. And I think you just need to make sure that the people that are investing with you are aligned from that perspective as well. Right. Right. And I, I think it's, it's interesting because my, my perception of what should be delivered by a GP or an operator on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis, it doesn't align with all other LPs, right? I mean, I obviously want to peel back the onion a little bit more and kind of know what's going on, but there's a lot of LPs that, that don't really care, right? Like you said, this is supposed to be passive. I'm just throwing my, my money over the fence and I just get kicked out my return monthly, quarterly, whatever the case is. I'm interested to see how that progresses. I'll be curious like what, what the response is and what the open rates are on that kind of data because I think a lot of people are indifferent to it. And for me, it's just, I just like to know, you know, am I, am I digging into every single detail? No, but is it nice to know, hey, is this thing, you know, is this thing cruising along or is this thing maybe treading some water? And not that I could do anything to influence it. It's just nice to know, you know, hey, where, where does it stand versus the business plan? I agree 100% because I mean, then I put myself in the shoes of my financial advisor. I have a financial advisor. I know that's weird for a real estate investor to speak positively of somebody else. It seems like that somehow is, is not a trend, but um, I have a financial advisor and I have money in the market. I, I view real estate as a diversification. I feel the market is a diversification. I feel crypto is a diversification. I think that I am certainly obtaining better results in real estate, but I need somebody in that area who knows what the hell they're talking about. And I put myself in that position where 
I, I ask my advisor questions probably more often than others. Not like, why is it up? Why is it down? But some, some kind of down, you know, deeper questions. And I realized if I'm giving my money to him, I have the right to ask that person questions. That was my aha moment. Well, so do my investors. So do my investors. Why would they not have a right to do that? So that one, there was two people, but the one person who spoke up and said, I'm not receiving rent rolls. I said, ah, you're right, man. Here you go. We need to start shooting these out every month. And that was a, that was a good little wake up for me because I, that was a learning process for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then the other thing was around the, the red tape, right? And I think that's only going to get stickier and stickier because I think there's a lot of people that are, are doing things not necessarily to the letter of the law. And it's been hunky-dory because the market's been on an upward trend. And I think there's going to be a lot of shakeout from this. And all things considered, I'd say for the majority of the country, I know that COVID's been terrible and there's been a lot of challenges, but for, for a lot of people, you know, these deals have still remained afloat. There hasn't been the fallout that we all expected from a monthly basis. As far as collections, it's, it's remained pretty strong. I know September's a little bit down year over year, but for the most part, collections have remained very strong within multifamily. And so I think it's going to be interesting over the next 12 to 18 months, some of these deals that were maybe underwritten a little bit aggressively that, you know, maybe they were throwing caution to the wind or they were on a bridge deal, bridge loan, and they were thinking they could get their business plan and turn it real quick before the proverbial stuff hit the fan. Mm -hmm. And they got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. And that's the time when, you know, someone raises their hand and said, Hey, you know, this guy kind of, kind of duped me a little bit or, or whatever the case is. I know that there's a, a large operator that there was an article about out about last week that um, they were talking about misleading, you know, misleading investors. And, and I think that that just is something that, I want people to understand that when you, when you put your money into one of these deals, it is illiquid. There's a chance you may not get that money back. And so if you can't handle that, if you can't stomach that, then I don't think you should be doing this. And from an LP perspective, and again, not by saying, not saying that, you know, by any means, Chris won't do everything within his power to ensure that the deal or any operator for that matter will ensure that the deal runs to their, you know, the best of their ability. But there's a lot of factors that are out of people's controls. And so I just, I just want to make sure that people understand that there is ample risk on both sides. There's risk in doing nothing with your money too, right? So don't get me wrong. There's risk in everything, but just know that there are some challenges and you've got to do your own research and educate yourself. If you're not educating yourself, you're really setting yourself up for some challenges because you need to be able to understand, you know, one deal versus another and why you like a certain market or why you don't like other things. So, um, but anyways, I won't belabor that point, but I think those are some really great points that you brought up. So, all right, we'll, we'll wrap up here with the contrarian three pack. So what is an investment you've made before that is a little bit contrarian? I mean, you said you have some money in the market and stuff, but you started with the single families. Have you ever made an investment that's kind of a little bit off the beaten path? Are you going to count Airbnb? Yeah, I'd say that. I mean, so that, that's one that's been intriguing me for a while and I have not gone down that path. I mean, I know people make money hand over fist, but yep. I'm a little bit, the arbitrage aspect of it is so intriguing to me, the lease arbitrage. I, that's yeah. a little bit high risk, but yeah. So you You're got an Airbnb? Those arbitrage guys are hurting and not, not all of them, but that's why that arbitrage thing scared me. And for, I mean, for your listeners that to explain that, it'd be like, look, if John's renting a unit for $1,000 a month, I rent it from him for a thousand and I expect to make 1500 from Airbnb by renting it out by subletting it. So that's my $500 Delta, if you will. Well, during COVID that has really been tough. And a lot of those arbitrage people are having trouble making those thousand dollar a month payments. There's not a lot of money to be made. All the Airbnb we've done, I own the place. So, you know, I, I don't really quote unquote, lose money, but I'm super glad I did it. I still have some active Airbnbs. 
you know, that was a big learning curve too. It depends upon the areas and whatnot. You'd be really surprised about how good Omaha is for Airbnb. You know what killed us this year though? No Berkshire Hathaway meeting because of COVID and no college world series because of COVID. Uh, that's like a third of our annual income in, in, in a span of like four weeks. But wow. Yeah. But I mean, you get to places like the mountains or maybe the Southwest or certainly the coast. I think Airbnb is a good opportunity. That's so my very long answer is the Airbnb route. <laughs> oh, there you go. That, that's pretty out there. Yeah. I've got a little bit of crypto. Of course I bought it when it was at 20 K a coin. So, Ooh. you know, I'm doing, I'm doing pretty well right now. My buddy's like, you know, I was listening to McAfee talking about, you know, a hundred grand a coin. So I'm like, I better get in. So we'll see, we'll see, you know, if he's going to come true on his promise. Right. <laughs> but I think the, the Airbnb thing is interesting. Cause I was talking to a guy that does it as full time. And he was talking about Fresno, California, which I mean, who's going to go visit Fresno, California, you know, or, you know, like you said, I mean, Omaha, except for the College World Series and the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, you know, but that's what I've heard that a lot of these areas, especially if you're in a larger metro space, you know, people are coming in, in and out. And sometimes you can snag on to some of these corporate rentals, you know, traveling nurse, things like that. So um, certainly doing that. So, all right, well, you, you got me, you got me interested. I'm gonna have to dabble in that a little <laughs> bit more. So outside of the investing and, and the attorney work, what's your favorite thing to do with your friends and family? Uh, be outside. I'd say be outside and just spending time with the family. I, I know that's really general, but you know, I'm working so much right now with the attorney and the real estate and stuff that it's just nice to, when I can put the electronics away and just be outside, just hang out with the family. And you know, that's one of the things that I've, I haven't got to do as much as I want, but I've had, I've gotten to do it more during this COVID time where I've been able to work from home is actually spend time with the family. My wife would laugh at that because she doesn't think I spent enough, which she's right. But I think that those times that I do hundred percent, that's all I want to do. And this kid thing changed the game. I, that's all I want to do is just spend time with them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a lot of this is the reason for doing it is to be able to have that time back, right? So you can spend that time with your family. So I guess this one kind of builds off that, that last question, but what offers you the most fulfillment? What really gets you going and, and makes you think you're making a difference on, on the greater world? Well, I mean, I, I have two answers to that. And I, this is not just a, a fluff of the pillow of the, of, of the investment sector, but we really do pride ourselves in either managing the units or finding the right managers to manage the units to actually create a livable space that people are proud in. No, I'm not driving there to dust everything every five seconds, but like really take pride in the asset. First off, you own it, so you should. But second, you want to use the term slumlord because there's, there certainly is a middle ground. You don't have to be a slumlord if you don't look like you care, but to really take pride in what you own so that they can take pride in where they live. I think that's huge. Of course, it's a good back end for me. Then they want to stay and they want to pay their rent. But, you know, I've lived in places in my life where I'm like, what a pile this is. Like, I can't get a hold of anybody, come fix anything. Like, this is terrible. And so I really, that, I really take pride in that. So that gives me fulfillment on the investment side. Um, and then what keeps me driven is I'm a busybody and I like to do stuff, but I think about the, the lives of my, my family and my children. I just want them, I don't want to question whether I can get them to do A, B, or C. If I want them to see the mountains, if I want them to see the ocean, if I want to take a week off with them and as a family volunteer our time to go someplace and give back and see the world that they're not used to, 
I don't want to be worried. Can I take a month? Can I take a, a week off of work or can I do that? I want, I want to give my family and my, and my kids everything. So that's what really drives me. And, and we're slowly doing that now. And that gives me fulfillment. Yeah. I love that answer. That That's great. So, all right, man. Well, I've really enjoyed this. I, I thank you again yeah. for taking the time. So, I mean, most importantly, how can people get in touch with you? Park Ave Capital. I mean, they better act fast, right? I mean, you've got some, some active <laughs> deals on the hot stove. So how can people get in touch with you and what's the best way for them to reach out? No, I appreciate it. Uh, our website's parkavinvesting.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Chris Pomerleau. Uh There's also Colin Schwartz on LinkedIn. Uh, Park Ave Capital's on LinkedIn. We have a, we have a, a group page um, on Facebook of, of Park Ave Capital. Yeah, and another way is we, we offer a free report, which I, this is no fluff. You, don't, you can take it or leave it or do what you want. But I mean, we have a, a free report that's uh, it's at partneringchecklist.com. And it, it just, it's just something that you should look at when deciding who to partner with. It could be a partner in a real estate sector. It could be a partner in a, in a syndication. It could be who's mowing my lawn, who's babysitting my children. These are questions you should ask people. And that's something I like to give out to people because I expect those questions to be given to me if I've ever an investor. So that's another way to get a hold of us and email, I suppose. I don't know. Chris at parkavinvesting.com. Yeah, well, I would recommend any of my listeners to reach out to Chris and his team because they're, they're just tremendous. And like you said, I mean, you can, you can hear the passion coming out of his voice about what he's doing. And like you said, offering that living space that somebody can come to that can be proud to live there. And I just think that's such a big part of this is there's a bigger part of it just just the financial returns. And so, like I said, anybody I would recommend to reach out to Chris just, just to at least have the conversation because he's just a great salt of the earth guy. So, well, thanks again, Chris. Looking forward to connecting here again soon. And till next time, everybody. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.